Hey, this is Adrian Hernandez, and welcome to the NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speaker and ask some of the tough and interesting questions you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of our Grand Rounds content can be found at rethinkingclinicaltrials.org. Thanks for joining. Hi there, this is Adrian Hernandez, and I'm hosting today's uh, podcast from the Collaboratory Grand Rounds. And today we're here with uh, Dr. Jeff Botkin and Dr. Cantuela Wilkins, who will be reflecting on returning individual research results to participants, guidance for a new research paradigm. Jeff and Cantuela, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Jeff, let me start with you, and can you tell us a little bit about the, the context here? Why did this topic come up about returning individual research results? I think probably the single largest uh, instigator for the trial uh, has been the conflict in the regulations, uh, the CLIA uh, prohibition against returning uh, research results unless they're done in a CLIA lab, um, in conflict with the HIPAA access right, where participants have the right to access their uh, results regardless of whether they were uh, generated from a CLIA certified lab. So this has been a significant issue, particularly in the genetics field, but I think folks uh, really realized that this was a larger set of issues and in a context of a sort of cultural evolution towards more transparency uh, with research participants, I think folks felt it was timely to, to take a more comprehensive look at these issues. And Consuelo, um, is this a, a real problem? Do you, um, participants actually want their research results? I thought this was research. Well, it definitely is a problem. Uh, I think that over the last decade or even more, we're seeing that more individuals expect to receive their research results. People are engaged and interested in this area, uh, and they really feel that um, their data belongs to them, and um, there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to access their, uh, their research results. Now, Jeff, uh, I know that uh, uh, you all, as part of the uh, National Academy of Medicine, really thought about a lot of the ethical issues uh, here, kind of weighing the benefits and risk of returning individual research results. What was the uh, final equation or kind of summary of benefits and risk uh, here? Well, I think we recognize that the sort of two paradigms that are out there that I sort of mentioned, the CLIA and HIPAA, are regulations that have sort of looked at either end of that spectrum. CLIA wants to say that unless you have high-quality standards in your laboratory, then you, there's too much risk to disclosing um, results, whereas HIPAA has said it's up to people themselves to help make those sorts of choices and to work through the challenges of uh, uncertain results. So I think what we wanted to do with our report is, uh, to a certain extent, strike a balance somewhere uh, in the middle there, and not by coming down with any clear resolution about, you know, these sorts of results ought to be returned or these sorts of results should not be returned, but rather foster a process by which people can look at the variables on an individual project and make a decision. And if it's a high-risk set of information that may have a real impact on people's lives, but yet you don't have a good quality circumstance in the lab, then that's one where the investigators should rightly say this is not appropriate to be returning to folks. Uh, on the other hand, if it's a high-value result and you can have some confidence in the uh, quality of the laboratory, then uh, that may be a circumstance on a study-by-study -study basis where uh, reasonable people would say, let's uh, let's uh, 
um, be transparent with folks and go ahead and uh, reveal these results. So we're really sort of process-oriented as a way of trying to accommodate all the variables that are important for making these decisions. That's great. And Consuelo, um, I imagine uh, you know, a lot has been built from uh, the work in the field of uh, genetics and, and sharing uh, results or, uh, regarding that. But nowadays, it seems like uh, there's a lot of different um, data that could be shared. And for instance, um, biomarkers. Uh, so um, tests that are being done uh, to say, predict the onset of cardiovascular disease or even Alzheimer's. Uh, what, how, how would that be considered? Um, so it's being researched to see if it's predictive of something in the future. Well, I think an important piece is that um, people do want to receive their research results. Uh, and while for some of them, um, genetic and genomic results um, might be more valuable, um, they actually really just want their results. And so I think uh, certainly there are many who lean towards more results that have uh, some clinical use, uh, but it's also beyond that. So uh, people want their results um, because they belong to them, and that alone uh, is a sign of, is, um, brings some value. Um, it's also a sign of respect for people um, when the researchers uh, think enough of them to return or share information with them. Uh, so I think we have to begin to think more broadly about how to share information, what information to share, um, and getting the voice of those involved, those participants, is really going to be important to that. So, Jeff, um, as things move forward, uh, do you think that um, it'll be important to incorporate um, participant preferences for this, or is this going to be kind of um, a process where everyone gets everything? Uh, how, how's this going to work? Oh, I think the big emphasis for the report was to try to uh, assess uh, the values of the participants or participant communities themselves about this kind of information, because I think the tradition's very much been one of the investigators making choices for people to say, well, this is clinically, this has clinical utility or this doesn't have clinical utility, which is really a doctor's view of the world. And so what we wanted to try to break down, break that down to a certain extent to have uh, um, much more engagement with the, uh, and dialogue with the individuals and the communities who participate in this kind of research. Now, I don't think that means every project has to have a, um, you know, set of focus groups and working directly in the community because sometimes this work will have been done already. There'll be organized groups who have uh, something to say about this already. And Consuela has a tremendous amount of experience uh, uh, and thoughts about this uh, aspect. But the whole notion of the report was that uh, we ought to be assessing value to the participants from their own perspective, and that ought to be a, uh, a guide. And that's not conclusive, of course. People may want things that, uh, for other reasons, uh, um, the decisions would be made not to be uh, not to disclose those results. But nevertheless, uh, uh, a big element of the report was that uh, uh, point of view. And Consuelo, um, how how did the uh, committee um, consider incorporating um, participant preferences? And whether um, that 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 everyone will have the context of what research results will mean. Um, for example, I think there could be um, scenarios where people may say, "Yeah, sure, I'd like to to understand that," but then they may get a result and they may not understand 
how to take action or think they could need to take action. So how, how does that line up in terms of preferences and then real results and what action should be taken? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the committee gave a lot of thought to all of those issues around um, how do we balance what the participant preferences uh, are or will be and and certainly the variability um, amongst uh, the participants in in that regard, um, as well as with the uh, ability to return information to them in a way that they can understand it and use it um, and um, it not cause more confusion. Uh, and I think certainly you know, the discussions around what uncertainty means um, to us as researchers and healthcare providers, as opposed to what it means for uh, participants and their families. Um, we, did, we did have a lot of discussions about that. Um, and I think that gets to really some of our key recommendations around um, getting the input of the participants and thinking about what should be or could be offered based on what they prefer, um, recognizing that we might not always be able to return everything that they want, um, but still having hopefully opportunities for them to uh, request uh, their results um, if they if they'd like them. So, uh, what to offer everyone versus uh, what to be prepared to make available to them when they request it um, is, I think, an important decision point when you're planning to return the results. Okay, great. Now, Jeff, um, what what considerations did you all um, think about from the health system side or the clinician side in terms of uh, this approach? I know one thing that's come up, um, especially um, some of our colleagues that um, uh, say in primary care where they're already starting to get um, all sorts of results and then having to manage that. Uh, uh, what's any um, consequences there for health systems or clinicians around uh, this issue that need, that people need to be prepared for? Well, yes, and I, you know, that's such an important question and it's just a, a piece that uh, we didn't have the time or bandwidth to try to focus on at any great length because it's so so important to try to establish a good, solid communication between the investigators and the clinician of the participant. Now, obviously with the permission of the participant, but um, that's oftentimes going to be the individual who's going to help uh, interpret what these results might mean, try to help with any healthcare decisions that might flow from uh, that information. And so, Uh, I think it's a huge issue now just with the direct-to-consumer genomics companies and patients who bring in their results to the clinician and they, they, you know, so what now? And the clinicians uh, really are not very well prepared in many circumstances to to deal with that. So I think that that same problem is going to be uh, part of this landscape and has to be part of the um, additional thinking and additional research that's going to hopefully flow from our report and other people's interest in this uh, particular domain. Uh, I don't think there's any easy answers there because uh, um, uh, it's just a, a understandable challenge for clinicians to be at the, the forefront of information uh, in these different domains of research for which their patients may be uh, engaged. So uh, that's not a very good answer, but I think it's a, um, a an important area for uh, much more work uh, uh, to be done. 
so Consuelo, I'm going to give you the, the last word here. Um, what, what do you predict the future? What's this look like in uh, five years? Uh, so in five years, I'm hoping that we will see um, everyone in, in the research enterprise really uh, well prepared to return results um, to participants. I think that's going to certainly require that the IRBs have more um, policies and strategies to um, evaluate the plans for returning results and include the preferences of the participants um, in the decision making. I think that researchers will be uh, more adept at finding uh, ways to integrate the participant voice into uh, the planning uh, for the return of results and I hope that that will certainly um, spill over into other aspects of the study design so that it's more relevant to uh, the participants in general. Uh, I imagine that uh, funders will uh, think about how they'll pay for the return of results uh, and begin to require uh, that it's included in the, in the budgets for uh, studies that are uh, generating data that could be returned um, in a meaningful way to uh, participants. Um, and I think really important to me um, is that uh, we will no longer be using the word uh, subjects when we refer to research volunteers, but we're, recall we're calling them participants and respecting them um, for the time and the value that they bring to the research um, itself. Well, that's uh, terrific. And I certainly hope it's uh, sooner than five years for all of this to happen. So we'll, uh, hopefully everyone will uh, do their very best and actually uh, uh, reach this new model uh, here. So uh, with that, let me thank you for uh, joining us uh, for today's uh, podcast and especially thank uh, Jeff and Consuelo for sharing their insights about uh, returning individual research results and a, a new report about um, uh, a roadmap uh, forward. Uh, please join us for our next podcast as we continue to highlight a fascinating and informative changes in the research world. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining today's NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Let us know what you think by rating this interview on our website, and we hope to see you again on our next Grand Rounds, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time.